Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Full Stack Leader Podcast. This week, I'm here with Team Dynamics coach, Orion Ohev. I'm really excited about this conversation, Orion. Great to have you here. So good to be here. I'm super pumped forward to. I'm really excited to hear about the title, Team Dynamics Coach. It's got impact in every single word. I'm excited to hear what it means for you. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about why you took that title. Sure. Yeah, I love this question. Well, uh, the thing that excites me about working with teams is the intricate dynamics across uh, different people's skill sets, talents, uh, geniuses, and the dynamics go so deep. So a lot of times when there's challenges on teams, it actually comes down to stuff that isn't even happening at the logical level. It's below the logic level. It's at the the unconscious level, the nervous system level. There's reactionary things happening that the people on the team don't even realize that are creating these dynamics. So for me, it's about getting underneath the surface level challenges and getting to the root of the dynamics between two people and between a group of people. I can only imagine how unbelievably important that is in dynamic workplaces. So before we get started into this specific topic, maybe give us a little bit of a rundown of where you come from, how you got into something like this. And we can start early in your career. Sure. Yeah. So I've been coaching for over nine years now. Started off in coaching by accident. I never thought I'd be a coach. I've always been that person who people have come to for support, but my background is actually in tech. Started off as a computer science major ended up uh, with a human-computer interaction degree, working in corporate, and really being a part of teams and getting to witness what it was like from many different perspectives as an engineer, as a user interface designer, as a project manager, and then as a program manager, managing multiple teams, and really getting to witness the dysfunction that could happen from all these different perspectives. At the time, I didn't really know what to do about it. But after I left corporate, I went on my entrepreneurship journey, started a few different businesses in different industries, and then was asked to speak at an event in Sydney. So in 2014, I was invited to give a talk in Sydney, Australia. And that was about helping people not try to take giant leaps. And that, because that's what I was noticing at the time is everyone was staying stuck in roles and teams and situations that they weren't really happy in, aligned to, or able to give their biggest value in because they were afraid to speak up, afraid to be fully expressed, afraid to take a leap or communicate what they need. So I created that approach that was a step-by-step approach to really helping navigate the internal blocks to align to the kind of role and team they really were going to thrive in and benefit the company of. So after that talk, someone came up to me in tears, um, crying and just saying, wow, of all the talks and workshops I've been to, this finally feels like it's getting to the thing I've been missing. It's not just giving me strategy or telling me what to do. It's helping me understand what's going on inside of me and how to shift it. And they asked me to mentor them. So that became my first coaching client. And I've been coaching ever since. And over the years, uh, my reputation has led me to coaching uh, people higher up in organizations, a lot of C-suite executives and VPs and uh, CEOs of, of small companies to support them in similar work and really helping them shift their internal world so they can manage their teams better and realize where they're creating challenges from within that. And that led me to then working with their teams. Wow, that sounds amazing. And the talk sounds really amazing as well. I was wondering what inspired that conversation because it seems like it goes beyond the surface level kind of conversation that we often have about leadership, which is do this thing and get this result. 
Yeah, it, it was inspired by my time in corporate. The company I was working for was definitely not treating me well, which was pretty typical of a lot of stories I heard. They were getting the most out of me, squeezing the most out of me, asking more out of me, and keeping the can kicked down the road for giving me more in exchange. I got promoted multiple times to work with higher and higher level teams and uh, didn't get any additional compensation. And that really led me to realize how much my nervous system was addicted to trying to prove myself or trying to make it work or trying to just uh, play that game and how I wasn't standing up for myself. I wasn't holding my boundaries with them. I wasn't saying no. I was really buying into the, I've got to sacrifice in order to move up the ladder. And once I realized that I didn't want to do that anymore and realized that the reason I had stayed for so long was because I was scared to take that big jump. I thought I had to have it all figured out. When I realized that I just needed to take one step in the direction of deeper alignment and start to sort out the parts of me that were so scared to be in my power and be fully expressed and add the most value and be appreciated for it. That led me to have the courage to quit and start my entrepreneurship journey. Those next three years of entrepreneurship leading up to that talk and the experiences I had of amazing opportunities that were so in alignment with my natural genius and so appreciative of my natural skills led me to want to share that with others and help other people get out of that destructive cycle. That's amazing. Yeah, I really like that. I like the term too, your natural genius and your natural skills. Maybe can you say a little bit more what you mean by that? Sure. Yeah. To me, there's the the natural talent we're born with that is usually, at least in America, where conditioned very early. Um, I think most kids are. I won't, I don't want to bucket everyone into that, but conditioned to think of their natural talent and skills as hobbies. What you're really good at, that's what you do for fun. What you're going to get paid for, you got to go to school, you've got to earn a degree, you've got to toil, you've got to work hard, memorize for tests. There's this early, early teaching and conditioning by our parents, by teachers, by peers, that as you start to move into school, you've got to conform. You've got to put those natural talents aside so that you can succeed in what you're going to be tested on. And I don't blame personally my parents for that because this has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. And slowly our society has become one of suppressing that natural curiosity even before age seven, as soon as kids are getting into kindergarten. So there's the natural talent and genius that I think every kid is born with, that is their A skills, the things that are just then. Before school, you would be like the blacksmith that is naturally really good at forging metal. And then there'd be the, the town farmer who has naturally had that skill. And they're, all of the, the roles were based in natural talent. Now, obviously, I'm not against education. We have a need now in our complex society to develop skills and to provide opportunities to learn more skills, just for me, not in place of natural talent. How do we embrace all of the three of skills, experience, and that natural genius, that natural way of communicating, way of operating, way of managing, way of being in the workplace? Yeah, I really like that. And I was thinking about it, not just as an employee going into a company, trying to find the right fit that kind of fits their natural genius. But also as a leader and maybe an entrepreneur or even a tech leader who's trying to find the right project to either create or really oversee that you could probably pick the wrong thing, right? Absolutely. You could pick the wrong thing or even if they pick the right thing, they could be trying to pigeonhole themselves into a way of leading that project that isn't in alignment with their natural genius. 
There's some managers, project managers that are really good with motivation and inspiration. There's others that are really good with organization. There's others that are really good with details, while others are really good with big picture strategy and vision. And often the role there in the day to day isn't in alignment with that natural way of being, that natural way of communicating. So even if they have the skills, there's that misalignment and then has them frustrated, has the team frustrated. And there's that resistance that prevents the project from moving as smoothly as it could. Are you able to see these misplaced people within an organization as part of the team dynamics and offer suggestions to get them in the right place? Yes, absolutely. That happens in two ways. I'm certified with an organization called Talent Dynamics, uh, which is an amazing uh, tool. I I hesitate to call it a profiling tool because it doesn't really provide a personality profile, it actually really identifies what a person's lane of genius is. It really helps them get back to that essence of of what they're born to do, what is natural to them. It's a really cool system created by Roger Hamilton that maps out each person's genius in a visual way. So when I put them all out in front of a team, each person looks like a puzzle piece. And you can even really quickly and easily see where the puzzle pieces fit together and where they don't. And also it gives a really useful language to communicate across difference, across different ways of being and communicating and really understanding like, oh my God, no wonder we've been struggling to communicate and work together for the last three years because you think this way and I think this way and you operate this way and we really need a third person in here to help us. And and here's that person. That's at the surface level. At the deeper level, it's in the digging with each person and the uncovering and the going through what I think is the essence of what I call team dynamics, that uh, dynamic nature of, well, what's actually happening in your nervous system that you're not even aware of? What ways did you learn as a kid to suppress your full expression, to hide that part of you? Where did you learn these skills to replace what you're naturally good at? How did you define your worth by your success? How did you define, in what ways do you feel threatened by these people around you that are, without even realizing it, creating some kind of block to flow on the team. So those are the two ways I approach it. The surface level way, mapping out the talent, and then the deeper of what's actually in the way of you being in adding the most value to the team and being in the role that is best suited for you. Very interesting. So I feel like I have a good understanding of if the puzzle pieces don't fit together. I have many guests that come on the show and talk about the most important thing as a leader is the teams working together. But with the pieces falling into place to work together, what are the results of that? Like, what do you get from it? Basically, what what I help teams look at is look at the work through the lens of seasons. So they're able to see what season a project is in, what season a business is in, what season their department is in. And then they're able to make sure the right people are performing the right tasks at the right moment of a project. It increases efficiency. It reduces waste of energy, waste of time, reduces burnout and frustration. But I can't stress enough that the the puzzle pieces by themselves aren't enough. Um, It's really because it doesn't matter how well I lay out the puzzle pieces that show This is how you'd all work together in an ideal world. If there's a bunch of unconscious, social, cultural, psychological, and emotional patterning going on underneath the surface that is going to keep showing up and keep creating the same resistance and the same conflict over and over again. So it's really about mapping out the talent, showing the puzzle pieces, and then creating space for the really tough conversations, for the self-awareness 
of where people are actually creating challenges that they think other people are creating and then creating space for those conversations with each other to unblock and to communicate the things that are unspoken. But that actually clears out the stuck energy. It removes resistance so that map, that complete puzzle can actually be lived. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know I have worked with many teams over the course of years and you have different teams at different points in time that are more willing to share with each other and be more personally or intimately engaged. And then some teams don't want to put anything out there and they really protect themselves. It seems like some of the the conflict you mentioned with these kind of underneath elements might come out of a place of trying to fit within companies. But I don't know. What do, what do you think about that? You said trying to fit within companies? Yeah, trying to fit in is, or, or make, making sure that you matter as a person that's working on the project. One of the biggest challenges that most humans carry is a feeling of not being enough, of not being worthy. And there's a lot of scientific data to back that now, a lot of psychological data to back that. It is rooted in the system we're born into. It was generational at this point. It goes back many generations of conformity and suppression and needing to fall in line and be a good soldier and fit in, be a good student and not ruffle too many feathers and not speak too loudly. And then when we bring in other elements like race and gender and things like that, that adds even more challenges. In a Western culture that's very built around the concept of whiteness, which is when I say that word, I'm actually talking about more of a political term than anything else. Actually, that term was created and for many political reasons to start to put people in these buckets. And it has resulted in a lot of people of color and non-male identified individuals who identify as women or other genders that are really not speaking up, really not bringing their creative genius to the team because of additional layers of ways they've had to learn to conform to this very professional speak. I've got to show up and in a very button my tie up kind of way to be heard. And a lot of other cultures don't operate that way. And so there's so much creativity and innovation lost. And I, I'm getting a little bit off tangent on your, your question, I think. But yes, it is about fitting in. And there is so much subtlety and nuance to that. And that's why for me, diversity, equity, and inclusion is not about just checking a box to make sure that on paper or when you take a picture of the team, it looks diverse. It's so much subtler than that. There's so much money left on the table from not activating and creating space for these voices to have a safe space to be in their full unique expression again and to allow for different cultural perspectives and ways of communicating to be present. Those are the companies that I think are really going to be future-proofed at this point because we're entering into such an advanced technology age with the age of AI emerging out of the information age. The companies that are going to make it are the innovative ones because things are changing so rapidly. And innovation is bred from communication across difference, from allowing different perspectives and to sit in the tension of it, to allow something more amazing to emerge out of all of that. Yeah, this idea of, of uh, people, this conflict being born from everyone trying to fit in, to unravel that takes patience and a willingness to slow down to speed up, to create space for these things to be brought to awareness and spoken about with the team. Yeah, that, what you just said is absolutely incredible. And I agree. I think that there is a big change happening in the way that we work together and open each other's creative genius up. Like, and you, you can see it all over the place. But what is the actual cost of conflict when, when it's happening or even a group? 
Yeah, it's interesting. The cost of conflict in a group is the same, almost the same as the cost of conflict with individuals, which is pretty amazing. And that was my theory heading in when I was transitioning from working with individuals to teams was, I bet you I could approach a team the same way I approach a person. And the way I approach a person is, okay, you want this result, but there's clearly a mechanism in your nervous system that is preventing it. So it doesn't matter how many techniques I give you, how many coaches or workshops you go to, it doesn't really matter because you're going to end up right back here. You might get a temporary result from adrenaline and willpower, but you're not going to be able to sustain it because your nervous system is protecting against the very thing you want for some reason. And until we get to the bottom of that, the cost is getting a lot done and going not very far. I almost was going to say going nowhere, but that's a little bit <laughs> exaggerative. But it appears often that there's a lot. Everyone's to-do list is full. Everyone's busy and often moving in kind of a circular fashion, like moving forward, but completing these unnecessary circles. So the cost is revenue. The cost is profit. The cost is retaining top talents, retaining aligned talents, because when there isn't a sense of belonging, psychological safety, engagement, opportunities for employees to feel fulfilled in using their natural talents, then that silos begin to form. Infighting begins to happen. There's less communication, especially as a company is growing. So now there's the overhead. Now there's the wasted energy. There's people clocking in and not really working very hard because they've lost motivation. So we could put some dollar amounts to it. But the cost is the bottom line, profit, impact, the mission. There's a lot of wasted action fighting against resistance instead of taking the time to remove it. Yeah, that, that is absolutely true. I think it's interesting too, as you were talking, I was really thinking things like the siloing and really that kind of psychological safety element. There's a lot of nuance within it and a lot of complexity in the way that you work with people. And I think in, in technology, I'm going to make a broad statement. That is yeah. relatively true, probably. But in technology, a lot of leaders get into leadership positions from being great technologists. They're really good at the actual skill set behind open up technology and have it work and don't get trained in these kind of things. Do you think it's any harder in technology than any other industries? And how do you see successful leaders in this space transitioning what they're doing? Transitioning what they're doing. Can you clarify that last part? Yeah. Transitioning from being just an engineer or somebody who is there to either, you know, innovate new ideas or solve new problems, which is an important part of the uh, technology aspect of things in general, into being able to hold something like what you're talking about, which is got it. a pretty complex theory. Yeah, got it. Totally. Great question. So first part, yeah, I do think it's harder in technology for the reason you stated. And I think that there are the next wave of companies that are starting to try to think in new ways around that kind of promotional way of a technical person moving up into <clears throat> management. And that's part of the talent. That's the talent piece versus skills that we were talking about earlier. It's like this person's a skilled technologist, engineer, etc., And yet their natural talent isn't management of people. Management of people can be learned. Skills can be learned, but there is a certain essence of a, a natural motivator, inspirer, someone that can naturally see potential and challenge people in a way that they can receive it. There's a natural skill to being able to communicate a complex vision into a way that people can understand. And I think it's really important that roles are a little bit more flexible. And that's something I work with teams on is how do you actually have roles, not just based on a job description, but based on a talent description, a genius description. And how do you make sure everyone on the team knows how to leverage each other optimally? 
And when there's a new project, maybe it's the logical person in the org chart isn't the one to lead up that project. Maybe it's someone with a certain talent set. And then your second part of your question, which was around how do they make that transition to the complex kind of system that I'm talking about? I don't think everyone is uh, suited to hold that kind of space for multiple people. When I work with a team, I approach it at the fractal level, meaning what happens at the individual level happens at the relational level, happens at the team level. So if there's dysfunction at the, the individual level, there's at any one individual level, there's going to be dysfunction at the team level. So with each individual, I go in deep to understand where they feel they're adding the most value, where they feel they aren't able to do that and where their role isn't a match for that skill set, but where also their own self-limitations in their uh, psychological, emotional, cultural, systemic, social belief systems inside of them. I help them start to dig those up, where they're holding themselves back, where their own imposter syndrome or self-doubt keeps them from being that person. So for me, it's first identifying and working with people to understand what do they see as their natural talent and where they can fit and how they can thrive. And then what's in the way of that, if anything. So like you said, what I'm suggesting is very complex. Ideally, there's a person on the team that can hold it. And uh, usually there's a certain kind of talent or energy type I'm looking for to help them hold this kind of space in the senior leadership. And I, I like to do my best to train senior leadership to hold this space for their teams. But also the real juice is at the complexity level, is working with each cell of the nervous system of the team, meaning each individual, to regulate the whole team nervous system. And so that way that the lift isn't as heavy for the, the person um, that is going to be holding the space going forward. So when I come in, I want to clear as much resistance as I can help as many team members as I can come into alignment, build their communication skills and create team conversations that have never been had before, where the team leaves and they're like, wow, I never thought we could have actually talked about that together without getting defensive or frustrated. And oh, wow, we really just did that. And then two months later, they're like, holy cow, we're working together better than we ever have because everyone has the common language. Everyone is looking with a deeper self-awareness and able to communicate boundaries and needs and work with each other to, to collaborate and leverage each other's talent and genius in new ways. Hope I answered your question. I'm not actually sure I did. I think you did. And I really appreciate all of the insights today. I could talk to you for hours about this and I'm sorry we have such a short time to do it. I would like yeah. to, to invite you back though to do a second round of this because the stuff that's coming up for me is proper conversation around how do you take and apply this across a much larger group. I really appreciate everything you shared today and hopefully people listening are able to take away some really powerful things and Orion will have information on how to get a hold of you in the show notes. Orion, a team dynamics coach, emphasizes the importance of understanding intricate dynamics within teams, often rooted in unconscious and nervous system level reactions. He believes in delving beneath surface level issues to uncover the true dynamics between team members. For tech leaders of the future, this means recognizing the significance of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and creating an environment where all perspectives and talents are valued. It's crucial for leaders to transition from technical expertise to understanding and facilitating complex team dynamics, potentially by working with individuals to remove personal barriers and align with their natural talents. Welcome back, everyone. Again, we're here with Orion Ohev. It's great to have you here. And we're excited to hear your top five tips because I'm sure you give them out to a lot of people. So uh, what's tip number one? 
Yeah. Tip number one is increase capacity before opportunity. So that means look at your team as, uh, I invite you to look at your team as an organism that has a natural way of operating and it has a nervous system. So if the capacity of the nervous system isn't matching the opportunities you're providing your team, it doesn't matter how many opportunities for uh, empowered leadership, personal development, professional development that you provide, the, the capacity to hold that deeper level of expression isn't there. So building the capacity of your team first. Wow. What a, what a great tip. And it's not something you would naturally think about, but we do think about capacity all the time in terms of workload, but there is just capacity as well with interpersonal load, correct? Yep, exactly. You hit it on the head. That's amazing. Okay. What's tip number two? Number two, remove resistance before action. So following up on number one, this is really about creating space for curiosity when there's tension and really not pushing through the tension, which there's a a lot of pressure. I know there's nuances here because there's to-do lists and deadlines, but whenever possible, get really curious and create space to get underneath tension and resistance so that your action goes much further. That's really great. And it is so easy to stay at the surface. Trying to go underneath is a a difficult thing, but well worth it. All right. Tip number three, what do you have? Number three, diversity, equity, inclusion is about unlocking natural innovation. It's so interesting to think about diversity, equity, and inclusion as a new field when really all it's about is honoring everyone's voice honoring everyone's way of being, honoring everyone's way of thinking and communicating and expressing. And it's really about coming back to the natural expression of the organism that we mentioned in number one and really allowing, realizing that DEI is to me almost synonymous, if not synonymous with innovation, natural innovation. Yeah, that's pretty powerful because a really diverse group of minds can do a lot that kind of a closed amount can do. All right, tip number four, what do you have? Tip number four, create space for conversation around systemic issues. So just similar to number two, like you mentioned, Ryan, this is easier said than done. But there's a, the, sometimes the hardest things are the most valuable things, right? And it, it's really about, I would even invite the leaders listening in, what is your nervous system capacity to trust that you don't have to get the whole to-do list done. What's most important is unblocking resistance for the long-term success of the business. And when there's too much focus on the, the never-ending need to get the next proposal out, the next project done, these systemic issues will keep coming back up and keep creating problems time and time again. It's the, the, I'm just another hamster wheel. So really understanding where each person on the team is in their natural flow, what that is. And when you notice they're not in it, what are the systemic issues showing up culturally, socially in the team? Because there are uh, guaranteed in your team, there are systemic issues being perpetuated through the team that they don't know of, that you're not aware of, that they're happening at the unconscious level because we live in a society with a lot of systemic issues. So creating space for that exploration and and building the skill set is some of the most valuable time and money I think you could spend. Yeah. And this is such an important tip. I absolutely understand what you're saying because you can get so locked into that repetitive, unconscious just doer. And with what you're just saying is when 
you run a company, as many tech companies are, with people all over the world, with all kinds of different cultures, the dynamics have an opportunity to be really challenging because everybody's coming from such different places. I know we as a company have been learning our kind of core culture group, but they're very different. And learning how to work with each other has been a big part of our job. Oh, that's awesome. And I wish I could hear more about that. I'm super excited to dive in more about that and what you've learned. And like you said, it's with the bigger the team and the more international the team, I know what I'm saying isn't easy. And I know what some of you listening might be thinking is like, come on, when is there going to be time for that? But the real question is, if there isn't time for that, get really curious about how and why that happens. And because the time that it will take now and whatever might fall away might not get sent out or things might not, might not get sent out, that space that gets created is going to get filled in by something so much more powerful. And it's this is where nervous system capacity comes in again. What is the capacity for change? What is the capacity for trust? What is the capacity for alignment to really acknowledge, hey, we're out of alignment. We, we grew, maybe we grew a bit too fast and now let's reset. And to trust that is going to result in better results than the mind could come up with. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a great tip. So let's go to your last one. Tip number five. What's your tip? Tip number five. Playing up what I was just saying, busyness is inefficiency is opportunity. So anywhere there's busyness, urgency, there's good, well, there's good urgency, there's good stress and bad stress. I think a, a lot of you listening probably are familiar with that concept, but so this isn't to be too generalized, but if you're experiencing like a lot of urgent busyness day in and day out, or you and your team are, for me, I would always get skeptical uh, about that and look for the opportunity in that because I can almost guarantee if that's a perpetual problem, there's an inefficiency waiting to be removed and there's some wasted energy somewhere. And every day that it's that block is there is lost resources, lost profit. So really, again, taking the time to slow down, making, carving some time out of the week to address inefficiencies, even if it's an hour to start, like really put on that cap and look for the opportunities in the busyness. I'm sure you have so many techniques that would be useful for learning around how to even do that. And we're great to even get a bit of this. So it's absolutely been wonderful to have you here and, and we appreciate all the information and insights you provided. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ryan, for your time. And yes, I, I hope whoever's out there listening, I hope you got a lot out of this. And if you want to have a conversation, I'm definitely open to chatting. It'll be in the show notes, as Ryan said, how to book some time and love to hear about you and your team and, and just offer some support and see if there's uh, any way I can help. Orion's leadership tips center on fundamental principles for effective management. He encourages leaders to bolster their team's capacity before presenting them with opportunities for growth. This involves recognizing the team as an organism with a distinct operating rhythm and ensuring that its capacity aligns with the challenges provided. He also advocates for removal of resistance before taking action, emphasizing the importance of delving beneath surface level tensions to achieve more meaningful progress. Lastly, Orion stresses the significance of addressing systematic issues through open conversations, recognizing that neglecting them can lead to persistent challenges and inefficiencies within the organization.